0: Hi, welcome everyone. Today I am here with Dr. Erin Convoy, who's going to discuss some genetics with us. And she is a clinical geneticist at Indiana University. Welcome, Dr. Convoy. Thank you. Thanks for coming. No problem. We previously have covered some genetics in episode two, so if you want to hear other stuff, go back to that episode. But we're going to try and cover some more things because there's lots of this on the boards.
1: Yes, I do remember that.
0: Well... I don't remember it, <laughs> which is why you're here today because we have to learn some genetic stuff. So let's just start. Okay. All right, um, the board wants, wants the boards want us to know about chromosomal structural abnormalities. So let's talk about deletions
1: first. Okay, so a uh, deletion is when there is a missing part of the DNA. It can be something that's very tiny or something much larger. There can be entire chromosome deletions, but many of those pregnancies don't make it to term. And then there can be micro which have very typical features like 22Q11, which is also known as DeGeorge syndrome. They have often a small, very predictable deletion that leads to their symptoms.
0: And like if an entire chromosome gets deleted...
1: Yeah, so if an entire chromosome gets deleted, that's often referred to as monosomy, so mono meaning one of that particular chromosome. So there can be monosomy of any chromosome, but the larger the chromosome is, the less likely that pregnancy will make it to term because we sort of need all of our DNA, and when a bunch of it is missing, those... those Children, future children, pregnancies don't do well. And so, yeah. Okay, what is a translocation? So a translocation is when a chromosome gets stuck onto another chromosome. So instead of them, the chromosomes being separate entities, there should be two separate chromosome 1s. There should be two separate chromosome 2s. But for example, sometimes chromosome 21 will actually have a problem where it gets stuck onto chromosome 13 or 14, and instead of having 46 XY or 46 XX, you actually have 45 XY or XX, because instead of having those 46 separate chromosomes, you now have 45, because one is actually attached to the other.
0: Okay, and then that can cause problems, like, with subsequent pregnancies, right? Like, sometimes they'll be fine, but then sometimes they won't? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, so if you can imagine when the chromosomes then line up to separate out uh, during meiosis to make eggs and sperms, if you have a chromosome that has a translocation, it's way longer than it should be and when it lines up with its sister chromatid along that meiotic plate it's going to have some problems because it's not going to align very well and so in that situation a lot of th- a lot of different options can happen you can have normal offspring you can have offspring that have that same translocation but you also are at risk for having a child who has an imbalance in their chromosomes um, either too many because of that translocation and so when there's a Robertsonian translocation you can have a child who has Down syndrome because they get two normal 21s but they also get the translocated 21 attached to another chromosome like 13 or 14 and so they have three total copies of chromosome 21, but they're not three separate copies. And so that's an important uh, distinction between trisomy 21, which we sometimes call clinically Down syndrome, and Robertsonian translocation leading to to Down syndrome. You don't call that trisomy 21 because there aren't three separate copies of of 21. Mm -hmm but the recurrence risk for that mother who has a translocation leading to Down syndrome is much, much higher than for a mother who has a random, random trisomy. trisomy 21. Got it. They also want us to know like,
0: how do we appropriately evaluate the parents in kids who are born with structural abnormalities?
1: Yeah. That's a really good question. I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, When there is a child who's born, so just a simple example, you're seeing a child in the newborn nursery or the NICU and you're suspicious of Down syndrome. The first step is checking the child to see are there three separate copies of chromosome 21. If there are, then really checking the parents isn't necessary in that that particular situation. So just like a karyotype. So you would want a karyotype on On the baby. Got it. As, and that's very important because if you were to get a chromosomal microarray, you would know that there are three extra copies. There are three total copies of chromosome 21, but you wouldn't know if they were three separate copies. Okay. So by doing a chromosomal microarray, seeing th- that extra genetic material of 21, it doesn't tell you if it's trisomy 21 or tr- translocation okay. caused Down syndrome. Okay. Um, And so in the case where you do a karyotype and the child has an imbalance, an unbalanced translocation Down syndrome, you want to get a karyotype on the mom or dad or both to find out if they have a balanced translocation. There are common... Disorders that have, for example, I brought up 22Q11 before George syndrome. If you have a child who has, So in the example um, of 22Q11 deletion syndrome, which we talked about a little bit before, it would be important to check parents of that child that you've gotten that recent diagnosis of because that, in particular, that disorder is common... Uh, so in particular, 22Q11 deletion syndrome can be very subtle in the parents of the offspring in which you've diagnosed that particular disorder because it can, it can present with just some mild psychiatric symptoms um, or no, you know, no heart symptoms, no immune problems, but just some intellectual disability. And so checking parents in that situation would be very important because they are at risk... For having more? Yeah, 50% chance. Oh, wow. Because that they have one chromosome 22, Q11, that is normal, and one that has the deletion on it. And each time they have a child, they have a 50%, 50%. chance of passing that on. And it could just obviously be worse each time. It could be like varying... anywhere on that spectrum. Okay. From very mild to severe... Um, uh, Intellectual disability, severe conotruncal heart malformations, and uh, immune system Mm. issues. Okay. Great.
0: How about aneuploidy?
1: Aneuploidy.
0: Which I'm not even... Is that multiples? Is that what that means? Aneuploidy? Yeah, so
1: aneuploidy is a general term for an abnormal number of chromosomes. Okay. So the common aneuploidies that we deal with all the time in children are trisomy 21, 18, and 13. And then there are sex chromosome aneuploidies as well. Um, You can have multiple numbers of X's and Y's, some of which have symptoms and some of which do not. But um, I think what's important in the trisomies oftentimes is that they're random. They can have varying clinical spectrum, but They are important um, to diagnose.
0: Okay, let's talk about some of the classic aneuploidies. Mm -hmm. Number one, Turner syndrome, XO, which means not having
1: an X. Right, yeah. So in Turner syndrome, what, what probably happens is either the sperm or the egg didn't have... A sex chromosome in it. When uh, that pregnancy is conceived, typically the there's only one X, and so it is right to say 45X. Um, you don't have to say the O. Oh, see? Look you at don't this. I want to. Some nomenclature <laughs> here. <laughs> it is important <laughs> because there is the misconception that there is the chromosome O. Yeah, no. It doesn't exist. No. Well, maybe it does. I'm going to find it. Be famous for that. Thanks. Um, so for these children, they're always female in in their exam, and the s- symptoms can be quite subtle, and so getting a good prenatal or directly postnatal newborn history is really important because the features of puffy hands and feet can Mm -hmm. just be present at birth and then go away, um, and no one really would have potentially noticed or remembered unless you kind of asked that particular question. Um, Children can have um, coarctation of the aorta, Mm -hmm. which is a common heart problem, but not very common within Turner syndrome, so it doesn't happen all the time. So these girls can be missed for quite a while until they show up not having had their first menses, um, maybe just in, you know, outpatient pediatric clinic. And some of the consistent physical findings at that point are, is actually very curved fingernails. So instead of if fingernails, they're sort of flattened with a little bit of a kind of C curve to it. Oftentimes, children with um, Turner syndrome have very curved nails, almost kind of half-circle mm-hmm. look to them, and that's kind of a consistent feature. But the other things that we see in the textbooks with very low posterior hairline and um, kind of the, the skin of the neck being very high, that's not always consistent. And they're short usually, right? They're often short. That's also very consistent. Yeah.
0: We'll show uh, some pictures on our Twitter of the nails too. Because I'm more visual sometimes. Yeah. It is
1: easier to remember these things when you see them.
0: Yeah. Okay, what about uh this is actually this is one of my favorites. I don't know why, but I just like it. Kleinfelter. Yep. This is the
1: X XY Correct. Yeah. So 47 total chromosomes because there's the extra X. And these patients are born phenotypically male. And really early on, it's very hard to tell. And in genetics clinic, sometimes we don't see these men until later in life when they're trying to have children and can't. In, In particular, they have some feminization, of their, um, body in the sense that the, the fat distribution that they have is more along the waistline, kind of in, in the thigh area. They do have some extra, um, breast development gynecomastia, uh, and then testicular development is typically underdeveloped, um, with small testes. And, but otherwise they typically do, Fairly well. Maybe very mild, mild intellectual disability, but that's not a consistent feature.
0: Okay. Uh, What about the X 47XYY, which doesn't have a syndrome
1: name? Right. Because it's not really. It isn't. A problem. So there was that... Study that they did way back before IRB was a thing. Yeah. And they tested lots of men who were in uh, state penitentiaries or prison and found that there were a high number of men with an extra Y chromosome and they thought they were onto something. Yeah. Thinking that maybe that would be an explanation for, you know. Men who break the law. Aggression kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that has not played out to be the case. And we randomly find this extra Y chromosome aneuploidy and don't think that there really are symptoms, at least consistent symptoms, that go along with it. So
0: really nothing. Really is the nothing. Answer. They're yeah. like kind of normal people. Exactly. Like they all are normal
1: people. But. Yeah. Uh, how about 47XXX? 47 XXX is interesting, because I did my chromosome one time, I did my own karyotype, and I saw on a few of my cells, I thought I saw an extra X, so for about 24 hours, (laughs) I thought that my karyotype was 47 XXX, and I did a lot of reading in that 24 hours. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I can't imagine that that happened, (laughs) about what that kind of meant, and Really, it, there there are some consistent features of having the extra X chromosome. Turns out, I I do have just two X chromosomes on reanalysis from a much more. Turns out you weren't very good at karyotyping at that <laughs> time either. So the technician had much more experience than I did, <laughs> okay. and so she checked it out and it was fine. Um, but so having three X chromosomes can can be seen with with women who have a little bit of learning difficulties, trouble in that sense, but not really the the symptoms are not very are not very consistent and there is the risk of having a child who has an extra X chromosome. So a higher risk of having a child with client, a boy with Kleinfelter oh, syndrome or another girl who has triple X. So okay. that's kind of the, the bigger risk.
0: So those are all of the sex Chromosome aneuploidies. Yes. So then we're going to talk about the kind of just the classic autosomal ones. I know there's a lot. There are. All of
1: them could be tripled, right, in theory? Right. But the interesting thing about trisomy 21, 18, and 13 is that those three chromosomes, compared to the rest of our autosomal chromosomes, have the least genetic material on them. Which is probably why they are more compatible with life. Exactly. Got it. Interesting. Okay. So 21 less than 18 less than 13. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
0: It kind of makes sense. Clinically, it's kind of like worst to best. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so let's talk about 13, which I always remember. 13 is when... I don't remember, actually. (laughs) No, I got it. I got it.
1: Eighteen is when you are done with education, so it's Edwards. That's how I remember. That's that. a good way to remember it. I hadn't come up with a good way to remember it, so now, so there you go. <laughs> Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm teaching you. That's right. Oh,
0: and then thirteen is P. At thirteen, you go through puberty. That's how it's patao. Wow. It's the P and the E. These mm-hmm. are
1: fantastic mnemonics mm-hmm. that I, wish I really I would have had
0: when I was taking my science boards. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> really great at genetics. So let's talk about 13. P-
1: Pato, Patals, I don't even know how to say it. Syndrome. Yeah. So uh, trisomy 13. Um, the the things that go along with trisomy 13 are these findings in the scalp that are punched out scalp lesions that can be that can be recognized. The other the the other consistent features include brain anomalies can be as bad as holoprosencephaly but oftentimes microcephaly. Uh, low set ears, extra digits, so typically the otherwise known as polydactyly, and cleft lip is oftentimes seen in these children as well. As opposed to trisomy 18, trisomy 13 babies are typically at average gestational age or maybe even a little bit bigger for gestational age. Oh. And so that's one thing that can you can use to kind of determine the difference between Trisomy thirteen and trisomy eighteen. Okay,
0: and then what are like the classic kind of uh, findings in trisomy
1: eighteen? So in trisomy eighteen, uh, children can have what are known as rocker bottom feet. So kind I've of seen uh, these before. Yeah. So it's the the shape of the foot itself is a little bit abnormal. But what's prominent is that the the sole and the the ball of the foot are just very big and swollen, so that whole foot kind of has a rounded shape to it because of that kind of extra tissue of the foot. Children will have clenched hands where the, where they just kind of stay in hand flexion oftentimes, and then they, they can also have cleft lips and palate as well. Internal... Deformations or internal malformations include a small cerebellum, diaphragmatic hernia, right. congenital diaphragmatic hernia, and heart malformations, sometimes very weird looking VSDs having more than one um, ventricular septal defect. And just uh, a couple weeks ago in the newborn nursery, I saw a child actually in the NICU, who had only internal malformations, no external malformations at all, so no scalp findings, which can sometimes be seen with trisomy 18, that same sort of punched out lesion, no no clenched hands, no rocker bottom feet. The external exam was normal, and the baby only had internal findings. That's crazy. Yeah, it was. It was very tricky for a geneticist. (laughs) Like a, like a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. You're not giving your usual clues.
0: What about 21, which I feel like, obviously this is the one we see the most.:
1: It is. It's, it is the most common because children can survive to term more often, because there just are less chromosomes, there are less genes on that particular chromosome. If you kind of remember, children are born with a little bit of extra tissue behind the neck. Um, some extra nuchal folding, which can be seen prenatally Mm -hmm. um, and is actually measured prenatally uh, for a risk factor of having a child with Down syndrome or trisomy 21. Babies can have uh, congenital heart lesions, typically cardiac cushion defects is kind of what it's called. The worst of this is where the entire cardiac cushion fails to form, leaving kind of open passageways between both atria and both Ventricles and there can, can AV yeah, so that can that can be the life threatening or life limiting congenital malformation. Other things that we find when we look at babies' hands, we'll see just a single transverse palmar crease. An interesting way for me to remember Mm -hmm. that is this is not specific to trisomy 21, but instead is specific to children with low tone. And so if While they're in their mom's belly, they're not moving their hands around a lot. They're not getting the creases in their hands. And so that single transverse palmar crease is really just kind of an indication of tone. So you can see it with other low tone genetic abnormalities as well. Children's uh, toes, the first and second toe, will have a little bit of an extra space there, also known as a sandal gap deformity. And the facial features are, are pretty prominent, so um, often can be picked up um, with uh, extra epicanthal folding, so extra kind of skin folding on the medial aspect of the eye, as well as up-slanting palpebral fissures, meaning that that line that you draw from your inner canthi to your outer canthi, you kind know, of the two edges of your eye, instead of being straight across, which we kind of often see in caucasian babies not these all all of these facial features change depending on your race ethnicity but in down syndrome what you see is an upslanting to that line that's drawn between your inner canthi and outer canthi
0: hmm. all right what uh if you feel like they do have trisomy 21 when they're born mm-hmm. like what kind of things should we do like a karyotype obviously and then Do you, like, recommend echoes and ultrasounds of their kidney? And,
1: like, what kind of things do you do as a workup? Right. Yeah, all of that. That's that's all correct. So the karyotype is super important to know whether or not there are three separate copies of 21, kind of how we alluded to that having a huge effect on recurrence risk for those parents. And then the CVC is important to get kind of a baseline hemoglobin. The newborn screen does the screen that you would need for TSH, because these children are at high risk for hypothyroidism. And then the, the echo, absolutely, because there can be mild cardiac defects that you don't hear on auscultation, and getting echocardiogram is important. Um, Abdominal ultrasound can certainly be done, and often is, um, to check for any other internal malformations. These children are also at risk for congenital diaphragmatic hernias, and sometimes if they're mild, um, they're not picked up prenatally or postnatally without an abdominal ultrasound.
0: Okay. Well, there are basically some other random disorders besides those that the boards want us to know. So, like specific genetic disorders. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this? I hope so. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you, you are. <laughs> She's never gonna do this again with me. Uh, okay. Number one, Fragile X. Yeah. So Fragile X. I was really convinced someone had this like a couple weeks ago. I'm like, let's send the test, and then no one, no one agreed with me, which is fine.
1: I was wrong. Do they have intellectual disability and big ears?
0: I don't know about the ears. <laughs> Just the first one. But they had like this whole family of like weirdness. Yeah. A bunch of boys, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, see, I think I should
1: have done it, but. Yeah, sorry. Right. I support genetic testing. <laughs> um, so, fragile X syndrome is a very common cause of intellectual disability in males. And what happens is there's a particular part of the X chromosome that is prone to getting a little mixed up when it gets replicated. And so that particular part has multiple repeats that can be inserted into that section, making the X chromosome literally fragile when it's put onto a karyotype and that's kind of where fragile x got its name is that the that x chromosome can actually break apart because of these repeat areas and so what happens as far as the symptoms for these children is that early on there there aren't many symptoms but as they develop there can be delayed multiple de- delayed milestones gross motor, fine motor, but in particular, social development issues. High rates of autism, intellectual disability. And then as far as facial features, the, the really prominent thing that you see on exam are larger ears than you would expect. They're appropriately set, and the right place for ears is actually if you draw a line from your inner canthi, the, that space right between your eye and your nose, you draw a straight line back towards your hairline. Your that line should should hit your ears in a normal exam. That for children with fragile X that will be the case. But when you look at their ears, they'll be larger than you would expect, and especially compared to parents. And the the other kind of typical, I guess, s- stereotypical differences would be that they are a little bit more clumsy. They kind of use their hands when they walk to help with balance um, because a little bit of clumsiness. Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about uh, one of
0: my favorites, Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome.
1: Yeah. Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome is a really important one because children can present really at any age with a variety of symptoms So the first one that comes to mind is hemihypertrophy, where half of the body, either the upper or the lower extremities or both, can grow larger in size compared to the contralateral side. This can be something where it's very mild and when you measure hand to hand, there's just a few millimeters of difference in the size of the fingers, or it could be two to three shoe sizes different on one side compared to the other. So there can be a lot of variability. Typically, when you have a very affected newborn, the things that you need to know are hypoglycemia in the newborn. Because they have, I just think everything's big, right? Everything's big. So including their islet cells making insulin. Exactly. They have too much insulin for their own good. Okay, so they get low blood sugar. Yes. Okay. Babies can come out large for gestational age, so that's pretty consistent with overgrowth. Their internal organs, every abdominal organ, kidney, liver, spleen, pancreas, all of it can be bigger than expected for age. Okay. And the thing that kind of goes along with that then is an umbilical hernia. So you've got a big belly, an umbilical hernia, and then a large tongue. Sometimes so large that it obstructs the airway, and babies need to have either tongue reduction surgery or to the extent of having a tracheostomy placed because the tongue is just occluding the posterior oropharynx, not allowing them to breathe. Mm -hmm. So these can be very sick babies, or they can have none of these features and present to you in clinic at a few years of life with hemihypertrophy.
0: Okay.
1: and. It's super, super important to find these kids because there is an associated cancer risk. Oh. So that same idea of overgrowth can then happen in particular cells causing Wilms tumor and hepatoblastoma. Okay. And so once you identify a child with Beckwith-Wiedemann, they have to be on, put onto an abdominal ultrasound screening protocol where... They're screened every three months, so four times a year, until the age of four. Wow. And alpha-fetoprotein is gotten to screen for hepatoblastoma. After the age of four, just the abdominal ultrasounds until they're eight. Wow. So they're screened four times a year until they're eight to make sure that they don't develop Wilms tumor. Or hepatoblastoma, that's crazy. I didn't realize that. That's like a lot of... Ultra, thats a lot of visits. It's a huge inconvenience. Yeah, um, and so I explain that to pa- parents that it is a huge inconvenience, but I also explain kind of the risks that we're screening for, right? Which typically goes over pretty well. As far as <laughs> I would hope compliance, so. I would hope so.
0: Um, okay, let's do some neuromuscular disorders. So um, they wanted to kind of have us know the inheritance pattern for like muscular dystrophy and SMA.
1: Spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, is caused by a deletion of the gene SMN1. And it's inherited in an autosomal recessive fashion, meaning that you have to inherit a copy from mom that has the deleted SMN1 gene, and a, and a copy from dad who has a deleted SMN1 gene. There are multiple different types from zero to three, and they're kind of type zero is very severe hypotonia at birth, very obvious disease, and SMA type three is much less severe onset later in childhood, and then kind of that range in between. Um, But important to know that it's caused by a deletion of a gene, and you have to have both genes deleted in both copies in order to have disease so it making it recessive.
0: Okay, and then there's the muscular Duchenne's muscular dystrophy.
1: Yeah. So Duchenne muscular dystrophy is X-linked disorder meaning that when when boys have an affected X chromosome causing Duchenne muscular dystrophy the they have symptoms, whereas girls or women have little to no symptoms. Um, So the symptoms are um, hypertrophy of the calves, because there's an infiltration of fat into muscle because of muscular weakness. So early on, it's skeletal muscular weakness that is progressive, worsening, and oftentimes uh, kids are wheelchair-bound. They have that same unfortunately that same sort of weakness of the heart that causes a, a cardiomyopathy typically dilated but it can depend on what stage of heart disease you're in but they often have life-threatening heart disease weakness of the chest wall leading to need for you know assistance in ventilation and these kids um, have, early mortality as a result of all of that whereas girls with this same problem with with Duchenne they don't have Duchenne muscular dystrophy they just have a higher risk of heart problems later in life hmm. and so we don't really use that kind of connotation anymore of excellent recessive versus excellent dominant because I think it gave kind of the the incorrect notion that in a dominant disorder, maybe only men could be affected. Whereas we are finding that because of random X inactivation in women, actually, you know, girls can be quite severely affected if they have some unfortunate, unlucky X inactivation of their normal X and can have a Duchenne muscular dystrophy type phenotype. Although it's rare, um, it's more so that risk later in life of having heart disease from it. Huh.
0: Okay, and is this the one where they kind of like, classically like walk their hands up their legs to stand up when they're young?
1: The Gower maneuver. Is oh, that what it's called? There yeah. So they, they start from seat, sitting or s- start from sitting, and they have to kind of get up onto their knees, and then they use the hands. their arms and hands to literally climb up their body to to eventually get into the standing position.
0: That's kind of sad.
1: And that is that is very particular to Duchenne. Um, but also proximal muscular weakness in general can kind of have that type of sign. Hmm.
0: All right, the next one they want us to know is the Pierre Robin sequence, which Mm -hmm. I just feel like
1: sounds so classy. It is very classy, but very unfortunate for the babies who (laughs) are affected.
0: Oh, I've had to intubate some of these girls. It's not very fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so the importance here is that it's called a sequence. So as opposed to a a genetic syndrome where we think there's one particular either chromosome or gene anomaly that then leads to it, Pierre-Robin's sequence is, well, how I think of it is a sequence of events that happens in utero to lead to it. Okay. Typically, it starts with a malformation of the posterior oral uh, pharynx or kind of a clefting of the palate that leads to the tongue not being in the right place and then micro retrognathia all leading to having airway issues because the, for, the typical formation that you need during embryology is all of those things have to be perfectly aligned and they depend on each other for, for formation. And so if one thing is off, typically kind of that either clefting or abnormality in the oropharynx, then, then the tongue doesn't align and then the mandible doesn't grow as, as it should. And so babies can be quite affected, especially with regard to air. A little tiny mandible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: not good. Okay. Treacher
1: Collins Syndrome. So treacher Collins is a a clinical syndrome that's caused by a, a mutation in a gene that then leads to hypoplasia or underdevelopment of the cheekbones. So we know them as hypoplasia of the zygomatic bones and mandible. And because of that zygomatic bone and mandible not being appropriately formed, then during embryogenesis the the tendons and the muscles that are supposed to attach to those places don't attach appropriately, leading to significant facial dysmorphisms. And so um, there the significant facial dysmorphisms include coloboma or kind of widening and, and deepening of the under the the eyelids and then can also lead to respiratory um, abnormalities because of malformations of the mouth and posterior oropharynx.
0: What else? Anything?
1: Um, Micrognathia. Micrognathia is kind of what ends up happening there, and then also malformations of the ossicles, Um, so hearing loss can be associated with this as well. But what is unfortunate oftentimes is that there is that significant facial dysmorphism, but intellect is completely normal, and so... There's a lot for these particular patients to overcome socially, and there's that movie and book um, called Wonder, and that's based on a child who is affected with Treacher Collins and his story of kind of having to overcome really a lot of bullying and kind of a hard, um, difficult time in school. That's sad. Uh, What other? um,
0: What other? Kinds of things should we do diagnostically, like in our first evaluation of patients with velocardiofacial syndromes?
1: Right, so velocardiofacial syndrome is kind of the umbrella term for 22Q11, otherwise known as or previously known as DeGeorge syndrome. And the reason why this particular genetic disorder has all these different names is because DeGeorge was the first one to describe velocardiofacial syndrome. They didn't know the genetics at that time, but that initial sentinel paper was about a child born without a thymus. And so if we're speaking semantics, which is kind of common in genetics, (sighs) pure DeGeorge syndrome is thymus aplasia. So not having a thymus, not being able to make T cells, as a result, because okay. that's where our T cells mature is in our thymus, and then they get fungal and, and, and uh, viral infections. Exactly, so they're at high risk for that immunodeficiency in particular. So these children are often uh, screened positive on their newborn screen for TREX, so they're trek positive. So they're they they um, at least screen positive for SKID. The concern is SKID. Oh. But because they're missing, oftentimes, at least a subset or all of their T cells, they often come to care because of that as an initial screen. And so then you need to consult allergy and then you need to do all their fancy T and B cell subsets to kind of figure out what type of immunodeficiency to worry about. So that's, that's the one thing. Other, other things, if... The diagnosis comes up before a heart anomaly is found, then doing an echocardiogram would be important. Um, learning evaluations, because these children are at risk for intellectual disability or learning problems of a variety of different sorts. Um, and then intervention needed there, as well as mental health screening. So as they get older, they're at a higher risk for mental health issues.
0: I had one uh, recently. Uh, hypocalcemic seizure was there? Was there presenting symptom? Yes. Like as a baby. Yes. Kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, not for him. No,
1: no, not for him. Uh, he did well. Yeah. After. Yeah. And yeah. And, and then as far as management, continuing to watch calcium because that can present kind of throughout life
0: because yeah. of their parathyroid problems. Yes. See, it's like I'm on endocrine again. Good thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I think we basically have two left. I mean, two-ish. I'm going to call it two-ish. Okay, number one, neurofibromatosis. Yeah. Yes.
1: Neurofibromatosis. Actually, I
0: lied. It's three.
1: But Let's do neurofibromatosis. Let's start with that one.
0: This one is an autosomal dominant, right? Absolutely. With? Varied
1: penetrance? It is very penetrance. Look at penetrance. that. That's correct.
0: <laughs> I didn't even look that up, guys. That's step one right in there. Old
1: star for you. Woohoo!
0: <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I know I have a couple friends with this, actually. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, just oh, randomly yeah. got it, randomly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Genetics is very rare. random. That's what I have found out. So neurofibromatosis is caused by a variety of different mutations in the gene NF1. NF1 is a huge gene. And so the the possibility of getting a single mutation when you're dealing with a huge gene is higher. And all you need is one mutation in one of your two genes to get this. And so there it can be both inherited from a less affected parent because of the variable penetrance, but also there's a high rate of de novo or new mutations in the child who's affected. Mm -hmm. And so this is another situation like we were talking about before where it's important to check parents um, because if they're planning on having future children, knowing whether or not they are in fact affected but only mildly affected is important because you can have a very mildly affected sibling or parent um, but then uh, the, the subsequent children can be any, anywhere on the spectrum as far as affected. And so what we're talking about as far as um, clinical syndrome are cafe au lait spots. So there are different criteria, and we don't have to go into all the specific criteria, but if there are multiple cafe au lait spots in a baby, that's a concerning sign, okay. especially increasing over time at you know, subsequent well-child checks. There's then if you see a child kind of later on outside of that newborn period, they can have multiple cafeole spots, but the criteria is a, a little bit different. Smaller, um, meat criteria, smaller uh, cafeole spots in a baby meat criteria, whereas larger multiple cafeole spots in a in a um, older child. But what's important is that there is the risk of multiple different benign tumors of the skin called neurofibromas and of the nerve sheath, and those can actually be very painful. Um, Those kind of an overgrowth of that particular part of the body, the nerve sheath, can then cause pain in that area because of compression of the nerve. And so kind of a routine exam every year is important to kind of make sure that there is an intervention needed um, for those. Intellectual disability is something that can be seen not all the time. And there are particular types. So if NF1 is completely deleted, those patients have a higher risk of having intellectual disability compared to those with mutations. And then finally... It is important because they have a higher risk of certain types of cancer. And so screening for those things is very important. Because actually neurofibromin, which is what NF1 encodes for, is a tumor suppressor gene. Oh. And so if you have only half your usual amount of neurofibromin, then you have an increased risk of, of cancer.
0: Okay. Because you don't have the, the suppressor. So yeah. you get more cancer. Okay. Hi. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. The last, well, I said kind of last because it's kind of true. Uh, kind of last achondroplasia. Yeah. And then we'll be
1: done, almost done. Yeah. So achondroplasia is a short stature syndrome. Yes. Yes. It is dominant. Got it. In it's inheritance. Got it. And the, the gene that causes it actually has a higher risk of being mutated as dads get older. And so um, we know that older moms have a higher risk of having children with trisomy 21 and other aneuploidy syndromes. We know that aging fathers have a higher risk of having children with achondroplasia. Interesting. And it's, it's that idea that there's only one gene that causes it. There's only one mutation that's necessary. It's always the same mutation which is rare in genetics, mm-hmm. um, one gene, one mutation, one syndrome. Babies who are born with this have, have shortening of the limbs, particularly the more proximal limbs. So the upper arms bilaterally, the upper legs bilaterally, are, are the bones that are shortened, and that's called rhizomelic dysplasia. It's a fun word. Mm-hmm. It's a nice it has one. a Z in it, which mm-hmm. makes it a fun word. Yeah so um dysplasia of the bones, and then you can see that there's a little bit of frontal bossing, but babies, other than that kind of upper limb shortening, can be pretty subtle, and so as they grow, seeing that they have short stature is kind of the next time that you would mm-hmm. uh, kind of pick up on exam, and then um, there's this idea of trident hands, trident fingers, so Really, it's just kind of a tapering of the fingers. So it's kind of thicker at the base of the finger, getting thinner at the top is is sort of the the finding that you see. Um, But these kids do pretty well. Atlanto-axial instability is the risk. And so um, children should not be gymnasts or wrestlers. And as soon as I told one family that, they told me that that's exactly what their kid did and they were, were not going to stop. And so I just asked them to please do what they were doing carefully. So he did lots of flips in the air and landing off of kind of parkour sort oh, yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the risk is that the, the Atlantis and the Axis they don't. There's instability there because of the the bone um, dysplasia, and so that area is at risk for essentially dislocating. Yeah, that's not good. It isn't good. It's, it's Down syndrome important. kids have that too, right? They do. Yeah. Um, and so the important thing, other than you know, not those high risk activities, is that during anesthesia, the anesthesiologists need to know that those kids are at risk so that when they don't have their muscle tone to protect that area of the skull, they the anesthesiologists are very careful with positioning and don't hyper-flex or extend the neck. All right. So now really is the last one, guys. It's
0: the last one that I'm going to let you be done. But it's one that I feel like I never really appreciated was common, but now I feel like everyone has it. Um, Noonan syndrome. I just, I don't know why, but I feel like I see this all the time and I mm. never heard about it really. Yeah. It never was very emphasized, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it is because children are under-recognized. Okay. So I saw a child who's 22 months old, doing really well as far as growth development, maybe a little short on the on the growth curves, and a little small, but so were his parents, so it really wasn't a big deal. But he came in with um, a heart defect, and it was pulmonic stenosis. Um, And so the cardiologist referred him over to me asking, is this Williams syndrome, which also can have a a type of heart defect, usually supravalvular aortic stenosis, but Pulmonic stenosis is is the kind of common feature of Noonan syndrome, and that's what this kid ended up having. And facial dysmorphisms are the way that you can diagnose this in the office. And I was able to actually, for this child, because he didn't look like his parents, but he had wide-spaced eyes and down-slanting palpebral fissures, so that line between the inner cantha and the outer cantha of the eye is downslanting, low-set ears. So that line that you draw from the medial area of your eye, for that child, it it didn't ever hit the the ears because they were so low-set. There can be some webbing of the neck, which is why this is in the past being kind of referred to as male Noonan syndrome,
0: male Turner's. So
1: you meant yes, that's what I meant. That's fine, male Turner syndrome. But it can affect women, right? Can it? It can. Okay. Yeah. So I, and Turner syndrome is, as we discussed, a missing X chromosome, whereas Noonan syndrome, there are multiple genes in which multiple different mutations can cause this. Um, And, but it's also in the RAS MAP kinase pathway. So as well as neurofibromatosis. So they're all kind of, they're actually all in the same pathway, meaning there's a slightly higher risk of cancer in children with Newton syndrome, but typical features are short stature and the, the facial features that we talked about as well as the heart um, um, pulmonic stenosis feature. Um, But there, and then as well as a pectus excavatum or carinatum, so a, a uh, malformation of the chest can be seen as well. All right. That was
0: it. See, it was like three left. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> turned into really three. Easy peasy. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to say thank you to Dr. Conboy for agreeing to do this. Thanks. I know you were terrified a little bit, right? Yes, I was. Thanks I for having me. Though, thank you for coming here. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. And, uh, We might be able to talk her into later doing more, but we appreciate it. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right. Happy studying.